everyone, and welcome back to another episode on the Behind the Stigma podcast. I'm Ciara Minova, your host, and in this week's episode, our topic is on understanding shame. We'll be discussing what shame is, the work of Brené Brown's Shame Shields, and of course, identifying our own shame and how to overcome it. Our guest speaker today is Kristen Snowden. Kristen is a licensed marriage and family therapist with over 15 years of experience guiding people through their pain and trauma. She also has her own and very popular YouTube channel under Kristen Snowden, where she talks about different relationship dynamics such as love addiction, betrayal in relationships, setting healthy boundaries, trauma, and others, all of which she is an expert on. I highly recommend you check it out, which I will share on this episode description. Kristen, so excited to speak to you today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. I actually um, came across your work when I was first researching Pia Melody's model of uh, love addiction theory. And I found your YouTube video, I believe, talking about the addiction cycle of the love addict and love avoidant. And I got to say, I absolutely fell in love. You had such a great way of articulating the concepts and the causes with like very simple and eloquent language. So I was like, damn, I need to get her on the podcast. More people need to hear this. So uh, very happy to learn from your expertise today. So Kristen, perhaps to start off, um, I'd like to maybe take it back to the basics and talk a little bit about what it means to have firstly, a relationship with the self. We know that ultimately having a healthy connection with ourselves is important because it means that you know we're respectful towards ourselves. We treat ourselves with care, kindness, compassion. We accept ourselves, our strength, weaknesses, et cetera, right? But as we all know from being human, it doesn't really work that way because we all have a past. We all have been brought up with some form of conditioning and something that we take usually from our parents For some of us, it can be more intense than others or to such an extent where it shakes our core of who we are and also how we are in relationships and how we treat ourselves. And of course, one of those aspects is the feeling of shame. But kind of before we get into that, what do you think are some of the key characteristics of an unhealthy relationship with ourselves? Um, And also maybe a little bit on what a healthy one is too. Yeah, generally, it's good to define Um, how one would view what a healthy relationship is versus an unhealthy relationship. So um, an unhealthy, well, let's start with healthy, right? Let's start with the goal of what we're going for here. And obviously this is oversimplified, but um, one is likely to be healthy if they are fully connected with themselves. What does that mean? There's so many sound bites around this stuff, staying connected, being mindful, being present. But really what we're just trying to say is that um, a lot of us are thinkers, right? So we could spend all day with in buzzing thoughts and how could she have done this? Next time when I text them, I'm going to say it this way and I'm going to for this and I'm so angry about this. But then they're completely disconnected with this body underneath them. Or there's a conversely, there's another type of person who all they do is just feel. Everything is visceral. They can't get out of bed. Their body hurts. They can't move. They can't do anything because their body has just turned into a concrete block or an anxiety stricken, you know, overwhelming space for them to reside in. And no thought fixes it, right? And so the goal of becoming healthier within yourself is to become completely connected between the thoughts that are going on here, the crazy stuff that's going on, you know 
One time I heard some statistic that we have something like 40,000 thoughts in a given day. And we think just because they're coming from us in our brain that they're accurate, but a large percentage of them are just based on past traumas, just little kind of shame voices that are whispering in our ear, our crazy survival lizard brain, the <laughs> social media that's speaking at us. So it's becoming very in tune with all of that, having a healthy filtration system of, of you know, am I going to hold on to that story? Is that story working for me? Or is there something I can do to change that story in my life? But also learning that your body is an amazing instinctive tool to kind of navigate through the madness of this world. Um, I just did a a video on how even just like confusion, that state of confusion that you feel Mm. when you're like, what? This isn't making sense. It's an incredible tool that if you can really lock into that feeling, that sensation in your body, the face expression you're making when you're confused, um, you can kind of work backward and say, you know, what have I seen? What happened? What is it making mm. sense to me? My body is not feeling safe. What what did I see or hear um, or experience that's making me feel that way? And and the biggest part of staying connected or the biggest part of feeling, I guess, healthy and like you have agency in your life is that while we can't control everything, feeling that we can impart some kind of level of power within ourselves, how we react, how we alter our thought process, healthy coping skills to kind of manage our anxiety, depression. So those kind of collectively would create a healthy self. And obviously to get to that healthy self, we have to become aware of our, our traumas, you know, trauma history, how our body has wired around our trauma and, and scary stuff that we've seen, um, our shame voices, the the stuff where our survival brain, we'll talk about that more, is, is how it's told us we are bad, we are wrong, and we need to fix it. Um, yeah. And then once you have a whole self-connected, you can then do that crazy thing called try to, to have relationships with other people. <laughs> <laughs> where you kind of, they're like an extended crazy brain and body from you and you use your head and your body as a tool to kind of do this biofeedback system. Looks like mm-hmm. you're having a hard day today. You want to tell me about it? No, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not sad. I'm angry today. Okay. Well, you know, that's your stuff, not mine. Tell me about how you're angry. How can I help you? And then it's just yeah. kind of two connected people walking down a path, being able to share their experiences, enrich each other's lives rather than being responsible for fixing it or the Mm. problem, you know, the reason why someone's so angry or sad, et cetera. And that's kind of healthy versus unhealthy relationships. Yeah. I love that. God, when you put it that way, it's so hard being human. (laughs) We're so complex and uh, in so many different ways. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was joking. I ran a men's drug and sex addiction program and I got to see how we take sex and love and intimacy and we make it dark and destructive and devastating, right. you know, and then the people in their lives that love them. I just saw the way it could really damage people. Wow. As in one partner is an addict, um, like a sex addict. Right. Right. Sex and drugs or alcohol substances. And then they're what we call them the betrayed partner partner Mm. who's been betrayed by their behaviors. Sometimes it does take a good partner though, to get you out of, I mean, depends how intense or severe um, it is, but it it can help 
you change your behaviors as well. I know this going a little bit off topic, but I've known people, including myself, who've been quite toxic in one relationship, but it takes you to find a very secure, safe, you would say, partner who's able to then reconstruct those insecurities and then change your behavior. So yeah. I want to speak to that two things is, yeah. um, you know, everyone always asks me with that love addict, love avoidant say, Oh, I have mm. symptoms of both. And really what yeah. love addict and love avoidant is about is about attachment wounds, just kind of adaptive yeah. things that we've learned about ourselves or how to react in a relational kind of situation. And my response to that is you are whatever someone else is bringing out of you. So we all have the capability of being kind of love addicty, clingy, needy, you know, yeah. don't leave me if 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 we meet an avoidant person who kind of pulls away and is emotionally an avoidant, that'll bring that out of us. And and conversely, we also have the ability to kind of be this dismissive, you know, I'll like you this much and in this capacity and in this limited way. <laughs> Um, because you're just kind of there to be used, not necessarily to be a partner and a companion with. And it's all about what that person brings out in you. Um, and so, and that, the other thing I always say is that um, I tell clients in my treatment center that we have magic powers. I could walk into a room and I could use really loud voice and throw my hands around and sound, you know, use big, scary words and all everybody's heart rate and stress level would go up if I, right. If I, if I put like a measurement systems on their heart rate, so I have the power to come in and set the tone Mm. and, and on the other side, I could come in like that spiritual yoga teacher, which by the way, I almost never come in as that, unfortunately, and just say like, hello, everyone, are you ready for your journey? Are you ready to connect with your bodies? Let's ohm for a few seconds. And suddenly their their heart rate and, and um, stress hormones would start matching. And oh. we all have those magical powers that we don't quite realize that we can come in and we can set the tone. And all of us have these things um, as humans called mirror neurons mm-hmm. that are just kind of meant to match what we're seeing you know, face expressions. That's how we learn so quickly, but we can change the tone of a room just in how we show up. So I think that's kind of a little bit of what you're talking about, that sometimes we can meet that person that we could feel really emotionally dysregulated and really struggle calming down and they can just be present and make that eye contact and have those safe physical gestures that bring you back. Holy shit. You're blowing my mind. Excuse my language. Um, (laughs) you, You couldn't be more right. And it it also takes someone to like also regulate our nervous system, right? It also goes back to us maybe wanting to feel safe, and if that person is able to make us feel that way. Um, but yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. I also definitely agreed with what you said earlier about we think our thoughts are our reality, but in fact, just because we think something, it doesn't necessarily mean it's real. And I think that's a very powerful thing to know because even though I've known this. It's, you know, you need to constantly remind yourself that because we can get trapped in our thoughts, right? But let's go into talking a little bit about shame because this is what I want um, today's discussion to kind of go into. How would you um, define shame? And then in your opinion, does shame differ from guilt or embarrassment? And if yes, do these emotions interact with one another? So before we get into shame, we have to help everybody understand the human wiring. 
Um, unlike many other species in this world, we are highly wired for social connection. So what I mean by that is we have so many things wiring around us, sending really feel-good hormones, saying keep connection in your life. So when we get hugged, we have lots of feel-good hormones. When we're in a deep conversation with someone, feel-good hormones. When we're attracted to someone, obviously, feel-good hormones. Sex, everything. When we're laughing, everything's saying, keep people in your life. You need this. Conversely, we have lots of uncomfortable, viscerally uncomfortable hormones that come out when we're in disconnection from people. So when we have arguments when we disagree, when someone leaves this earth and dies, um, when there's a breakup, um, even when we break up with another person, when we know someone's mad at us. So these are all, it's not just a wiring that's saying, um, you know, hey, it'd be really nice if you had people in your life. This wiring is tied into our survival and it's tightly wound into the idea that if you're alone, you might die. So I just want you to remember that, that, you know, something I want everyone to remember is that your brain is first and foremost wired for your survival, not for your happiness and contentment. <laughs> that's like, that's further down that the back part of your lizard brain, that is all the first one online is about keeping you alive. It doesn't care if you're living in your values or if you're living your best life or if you're being really nice to your girlfriend or boyfriend, it doesn't care. It wants to make sure you're first and foremost alive. So remember the shame stuff is back there. It's back there in that part of your brain that doesn't care who you are or what your relationships are. So what is shame? And this is kind of my um, clinical feelings about it, my observations. Um, I am licensed in the Brene Brown material, and she's amazing. But the way I've kind of learned to talk about shame is that since we are wired so strongly for um, social connection, and as you all might know and get daily reminders of, we can assert zero control over other humans, really, ultimately. We can't control if they leave us, if they're angry at us, if they love us amazingly or not. We like to think that we control it and we kind of drive ourselves crazy trying to control it. But the truth is, there's no control. And and beyond our beings, our like bodies that we are all, you know, encased in, there's very little control that we can assert. You know, there's pandemics that happen um, geopolitical events that occur. And really, if you think about it, if you woke up every day and wrapped your brain around the idea of how vulnerable you are to the madness and uncertainty of this world, none of us would get up and function. And most importantly, that survival brain knows we wouldn't get up and we wouldn't eat. We wouldn't be having sex and reproducing. We wouldn't be staying with our tribe to keep us safe, right? Because the biggest tribe stays alive. So what I feel like the brain does is it goes, okay, okay, Kristen, you got to go out there. You got to go eat. You got to connect. You got to be with people. But holy moly, you've learned really fast. This world is scary and uncertain. Um, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you this little voice that every time something bad happens, it tells you it's your fault. There's something about you that you could fix. Because at the very least, it'll make you feel like you can assert some kind of control in this crazy ass world. And so that's essentially what shame is, is it's this little voice that when everything happens in this world in a social construct, 
there's a little voice in our head that says, hey, maybe it's because you need too much, Kristen. That's why he dumped you. Or maybe you got a you know, D on that test because you're dumb. And you're really, you just can't get it. Or you could work really hard, but you're just not going to be able to make it and get the goals because you're just not capable of it. And it's quiet. So the problem is it's shame is one of the most difficult things I teach to clients because it's it's quiet and your rational brain's always like, oh man, I'm amazing. Like I know I worked hard, or better yet, when I work with my betrayed partners, they'll be like, No, he's terrible. He's the one who cheated. He's the one who did these horrible things. I don't have shame. And really, when we get down to it, there's the story that we tell ourselves. If I'd had sex with him more, if I was prettier, if I didn't nag him, um, why am I such a, you know, so dumb that I stayed with him? There's these, it's, and it's so important because every human, this is the important part. Every person that has the capacity to love and want to connect and be social has shame. And you have to, again, when I go back to that need to be connected to your full body, You've got to be able to have the skills to go, okay, what's that shame story I'm telling myself? It's somewhere under there. It's making me feel like crap. And I need to know it because shame disrupts everything. It disrupts how you show up, your willingness to go out there and love, um, take healthy levels of risk, endure uncertainty, and make healthy coping skills. And you've got to really connect with it and know what's going on there. Yeah. Maybe you can give us an example of shame. I know in one of your videos, you gave a really good one of your own example of, you know, being very geeky and nerdy and very like stuck to the rules. Um, mm-hmm. I remember that mm-hmm. example and I was I was giggling to myself. But maybe yeah, just if you can give us, it doesn't have to be the same, but any example of what it, how you would talk to yourself, like what that shame would look like within an inner dialect. Right. Yeah. So there are people who are very connected with their shame voices. I err a little bit more on narcissism. So I'm more of like, I puff up my chest and I pretend (laughs) to be better than I am. So for a long time, I didn't even know I had a shame voice, but there's listeners who are listening right now that are like, oh yeah, shame is like that gremlin sitting on my shoulder, whispering horrible things to me all day and every day. So it's, it's literally when you just kind of, it's that voice that you can hear. um, That's the voice of just not enough. Right. You wake up and you're just like, oh God, you're so dumb. You went to bed so late. So you're so tired. And it's you blew it. You suck. Why can't you get your time management under control? And now you're tired and it's gonna screw up your whole day. And then you get up and you eat your food and it's like, oh, why did you eat those pancakes? They're so unhealthy for you. You're disgusting. You're never gonna reach your body goals if you don't, you know, eat healthier. Now you're gonna feel like crap. And then you're getting your work together to go to your master's class, right? Your graduate program. And you're like, oh, you're so disorganized. It's kind of disgusting. If people knew how disorganized you were, who's going to want to hire you? Mm. You know, and then you're moving on to your classes and you see some people in your class that you like and you say something funny, but kind of you feel like they made a weird reaction to you. And you're like, oh my God, I'm too much. I'm, I'm too sarcastic. Um, (laughs) people don't get my humor. Um, I'm this awkward person that, that like people just kind of pretend to like, but they don't really like me. I don't have interesting things to talk about. And you're just constantly in this state of not enough. That's the way shame shows up a lot. Or I joke again, because I'm narcissistic is like, or I have 
like that type of personality is mm. I'm too much. I say too much. I feel too much. I need too much. I exert myself too much. Right. And so it swings both all versions of those are shame, you know, not mm. enough too much. And, and they whisper in your ear and yeah. they will take over. They're extremely visceral. You know, Brene Brown would say, if I stuck you in an MRI machine and I stabbed you, you know, you would light up, your body would light up in several different ways, right? From the pain of the, the stab wound. If I yeah. shamed you, your body would light up in the same way Yeah, because that's how visceral that physical that state is. And usually I can tell any client when they're in a moment of extreme discomfort, bad feelings, you know, they feel the fire in their face, that, that the, the spinning of their head, their body, their stomach, like they're going to throw up. Something scary or traumatic or upsetting could have definitely happened, but I always want to go to what's the shame story you're telling yourself. What does that say about you? Right. Mm -hmm. Even that car accident, it could still go back to why weren't you paying attention or, you know, or just some kind of storyline who knows. Absolutely. Let's say you're someone who really wants to like connect with other people, um, you know, whether it's in a university setting or like even in a work setting. Um, but you, you know, you obviously, like you said in the beginning, one thing is, you know, primal to us as human is that we're social creatures. But let's say you always feel like, you know, you're bothering others, or even when you want to try, you think that you're annoying people or that you're not good enough. How would you identify that? Is that an example of shame? Or would you say that's more of like a self-esteem thing? Or do they even go hand in hand? Yeah. They all go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Really, self esteem is founded in what is it really saying? Am I worthy? Am I valuable? Or on the flip side, does this part of me make me not valuable? Um, for all of the listeners, I always encourage people to say if you want to really figure out what your shame voices are, you mm. sit down and you fill out the, sen- the following sentences I have worked my whole life to be perceived as fill mm. in the blank you know, smart, attractive, funny, uh, trustworthy, responsible, whatever your words are. And then I have spent my whole life trying to avoid ever being perceived as fill in the blank, flaky, um, incompetent, unattractive, all, all that kind of stuff. And I promise you every time you're having that visceral, gross, yucky day or moment or experience, you can go back to that list and say, oh, this is the story I'm telling myself. Mm. They think that I'm this incompetent, you know, irresponsible person. Wow. That is so useful. I absolutely love that. I know that you also emphasis, as you mentioned, the work of Brené Brown, um, an exercise, something that she calls and identifies as shame shields. Can we talk a little bit about that? What are shame shields and maybe some of the examples and how each is applied? Yeah. So shame shields are these really great ways that she has used um, to kind of bring to life when we're getting into that shame, vulnerability, discomfort zone. 
So she says there's, well, this is one of her stains. She says that, look, when we show up into a room, we're uncertain about what's going to happen in life. We're feeling vulnerable, right? We walk into that party and we don't know people. We start that master's program. We head into that job interview. These are all states of feeling very raw, very vulnerable. We don't know the outcome. And those are prime moments to have our shame stuff show up, right? So she says, when, when we have those moments, we have options. We can either puff up, shrink, or choose to stand our sacred ground. Kind of with that story of, I'm imperfect, but I'm doing my best. I can't control this outcome, but these are the ways that I want to show up. You know, I want to, I want to show up with courage. I want to be my best self. Um, And, you know, and if I blow it, I want to apologize or make amends or whatever, but these are, these are my standard ways of how I want to show up. Um, So she says that when you are in that struggling moment of showing up or feeling vulnerable, three shame shields um, can, can kind of, they're symptoms that you're feeling a little vulnerable and you're in a, in possibly like a shame state. So the three shame shields are saying, so if you could imagine, it's like her saying, I'm me in my raw state and I use this shield, you know, I'm holding this shield out to stop me from the rawness and the discomfort of the rest of this world. Um, And so I will move away, I will move toward, or I'll move against. So if I am moving away, that kind of looks like I'm withdrawing, I'm isolating, I'm keeping secrets, so I'm holding back information, I'm ghosting people, I'm avoiding connection from people. Um, often that will look like I'm, you know, abusing substances, trying to numb and and disappear. Mm-hmm. Right. I've kind of gone into my I, I spend more time on Instagram, you know, scrolling than I do actually connecting with real humans. That's moving away. So that's a really great sign when you're doing those things, when you're not returning phone calls, when you're not showing up to say, okay, what's going on here? Where, where, where am I feeling so raw and vulnerable? And what are the shame stories I'm telling myself? The second one is moving toward. So if you can imagine, I'm kind of walking with this shield and I'm moving towards you, but it's kind of a facade of connection. So what it really looks like is I'm here and I'm, I'm with people, but really I'm not standing my sacred ground and being the real me. So I'm people pleasing. Um, the word that I love that I should copyright at some point is chameleonizing myself. Like I (laughs) will change my, and like, I will change into whatever you want me to be. However, you know, I always said my superpowers, I could figure out an audience in 3.2 seconds and be whatever they wanted me to be. And that was my superpower. So that was my shame shield. That's how I defended myself against feeling raw and exposed. And I thought that's how I was controlling my outcome. I would blind, you know, you can blindly agree. Sure. Whatever you say. Yeah. I completely align with your political views when inside you're like, Ew, gross. I don't Um, please appease kind of do things you normally wouldn't do to protect like another person that might feel and keep their secrets, fall in line with their values when that's not necessarily yours. And then the last thing is moving against. So um, if you imagine you have the shield and moving against is kind of getting them away, pushing them away as much as possible. And I always joke that, of course, I, sh- I 
use this for only the people that I love the most, that I feel most vulnerable to, right? Which is my loved ones. Right. Um, so if I feel shamed by my partner, like he's saying something and I feel like he's telling me a story that's on that list of I never want to be perceived as, um, I will shame him back and I will yeah. put him in the shame swamp. Um, I'll bulldoze, I'll be aggressive. I'll try to gain power over somebody by making them feel smaller or like I'm better than them, right? These are all, um, these are behaviors that I tend to do when I have the strongest reaction to feeling shame and vulnerable. And that's usually because it's with people that I love the most, but other people, you know, they can be like that with just the car salesman or the barista. They can feel this very, like, you make me feel small, I'll destroy you. And it's really important to think about, you know, all the listeners, what type of shame shields do you use? How do you, you know, are you an isolator, secret keeper? Are you a people pleaser? Or are you just like, screw you, I'm out, you know, I'm going to reject you before you can reject me. I'm going to criticize you before you can make me feel small. And those are really important things or symptoms of a problem, right? That you haven't really worked out your shame stuff, your trauma stuff. And you need to spend some time exploring what's going on underneath all of those. Yeah. Wow. You you explained that so well. I feel so guilty of being the people pleaser. I think one thing we become afraid of making ourselves vulnerable or, you know, fully exposed to others so that we don't feel abandoned or or unloved. You know, we can't be our true selves because we think that if we will be our true selves, we'll be rejected in some way, at least the people pleasing element, right? I, I definitely can relate to that one. You know, you're, you sometimes are, you do act like a chameleon just because you want to make sure that you're not disliked by anyone. And yeah, you just kind of like lose yourself within. So I think it's so important to recognize just to be aware of how your behaviors are and to like catch that. It's a really great red flag. Like if you're not quite understanding shame and how it's showing up in your body, those are usually the easier way of saying, oh shit, something's happened. You know, I, I need to stop, look and listen. And remember, cause we talked about healthy you is someone who's fully connected. Yeah. And so noticing that you're isolating, right? I might not know the shame story that's going on in my head that takes a little bit more work, but I know when I see my friend call, and I'm laying in bed and I'm not doing anything. And I click that red button. I know when I'm isolating, like that's very obvious. That's very tangible. What if you're not picking up because you just don't want to pick up? Does it, there's, there always has to be an underlying yeah, sure, reason. There's not, right. All of these things, some of these things to some extent can be, um, it's just you assessing the situation and feeling like this is the, the best coping skill that I can show at this moment. Right. So yes, if I'm tired, I, but that's because I've told myself already, I'm tired. I'm going to give myself an hour of rest time. And I always look, I always ask clients to say, um, how do you feel about this behavior? Like one of these shame shield behaviors after it's done. Mm. Right. So if you click the red button and you don't talk to your friend in that moment, do you go like, oh, okay, this is my my time. This is me. This is this is a self-care moment where I'm setting a boundary to take yeah, some okay. rest for me. Then great. That's not a shame shield. Right. That's you doing your self-care. But or, if you feel for guilty. Inst- right. Or so people pleasing, let's say. Sometimes there's times you have to chameleonize just for a moment to get out. Like I had a client who um, was doing work with people in a different culture and he just had to kind of close the business deal. So he kind of morphed himself 
closed that business deal and carried on and was his more authentic self. But he's like, in that moment, I wasn't going to connect with them. I had to Mm. just kind of join them to finish the deal. And he didn't walk away with like, oh God, what a fake you are. How disgusting that felt, the way you morphed yourself and just blindly agreed to them. I always want to know how does it feel after the choice? That is such a good point. It's so interesting what you're saying because a lot of the behaviors that we think are just, they're nothing essentially. They really are something. Avoiding, let's say, a certain phone call. For someone who's moving away, what would be an example of a shame shield? Um, well, the moving away is like not accepting the phone call, right? So it's like not saying it's uh, isolating um, when people say, you know, good friends, right? People who deserve to hear your story. Um, what, you know, how are you doing today? And really, I'm dying inside, but I'm just like, oh, I'm fine. All's great, mm, right? Those are secret it. keeping. I'm not showing myself to other people. So the the common thing around that would be they can't handle my story. Um, they they don't know what, you know, they know me as happy-go-lucky Kristen. They can't handle sad Kristen, right? So these are all shame stories. This is too much. This feels too much. It's too sad. Other people can't, you know, they value me as the happy, responsible person, not the one who's mm. struggling to get out of bed today, right? See, these are all shame stories that we're telling ourselves, and we have to know what they are because by the way, these, when I'm talking about having these conversations with people, they have to be people that have proven they they can hold uncomfortable conversations. I'm not encouraging you to have these really deep, higher level, higher frequency shame conversations with someone who's shown no capacity for, you know, Absolutely, for the, they're just going to yeah. use it to weaponize you and be like, yeah, you are too needy. You are really <laughs> yeah, exactly. over there. I was thinking that too. I'm like, where do you draw the line? You know, you just go to like a coworker and like, hello, I'm deeply in shit right now. And you're going to listen to me for hours. And you know, you have to, there has to be like a, yeah. um, I mean, I do a whole other video and and several videos on boundaries, right? Assessing whether someone is like a column A person, you know, they've shown the ability to kind of do the same stuff you're doing. Hold yourself accountable, have difficult conversations, look inside, hold space for discomfort. Um, because there are actually people that if I'm really sad, you know, if my mom just died, there's people that I'll quickly be like, wow, they can't hold space for my grief. You know, they, they just want to tell, give me a bunch of platitudes and tell me there's another angel in heaven. And it doesn't let me sit with my sadness and grief at all. And so, hell yeah, I'm going to move away from them because they haven't shown that they can. I'm going to go look to people who can just be like, I am so sad with you. And my heart is broken that you're struggling this way. And I, I want to go to there. And that there's, so there, that's not a shame shield. That's a assessing the situation and finding the right people for, so you can stay connected and you can have that. Remember that, like I said, that magic skill we have where I need some down regulation. I need some safe eye contact. I don't want them to set expectations for me. I don't want them to tell me, you know, there's another angel in heaven. Why are you so sad? Your mom won't want you to cry. I just want them to let me be sad. That's it. I'll fix my stuff. I just need you to not look at me like I'm an alien monster that I'm devastated. I do want to ask, what are some techniques that we can use for managing shame in a healthy way? Because I do know shame is not something we could ever get rid of, uh, but perhaps ways that we can recognize, acknowledge them and maybe even, Mm -hmm. you know, manage them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So I do have some skills, like I said, on my website where it's kind of um, paperwork exercises to help you remember those two questions I asked. I I want to be perceived as the following by others and I don't want to be perceived as following by the others and really get into like, well, how would you know you were looking that way? What would it look like if you were being perceived like that or you weren't being perceived? Um, So that uh, Brene Brown has a pretty clear, what she calls shame resiliency model. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially that you first have to recognize the shame and what's triggered it, right? So just remember, I said that visceral experience, really connect with, you know, I feel the fire in my face. I feel like laser beams are shooting out of my eyes because I, you know, I get defensive, um, like a nausea in your stomach or other people have like, they start sweating. And so recognize you're in shame, something, and you need to stop, look and listen, like what, what happened? Go back. What, what what was said? What was done? What happened? What what put you in this state? Then practice like the critical awareness. So just kind of go back to that list and start figuring out how have I how am I worried? Like what's the story I'm telling myself of of how I think they're perceiving me? What did I do or what did they do? And how am I worried about being perceived? Where did it come from? Is it accurate? You know, is this this the type of person that would be saying this kind of stuff or thinking this stuff about me? Do I even care that this person might say or think this stuff about me? Is this true? Like I always have Mm. this crazy voice in my head that I'm lazy, which by the way, I'm like the least lazy person in the world, but it's still one of my shame voices. Right, right. And so when I say that, or I feel like someone's perceiving me as lazy is more like Mm. what it is. Like, don't think that I'm lazy. And I'm like, wait, you were literally not lazy. And anyone who thought that would be bananas anyway. So, you know, and that's just a quick process. But then the next thing you do after understanding a critical like awareness of that shame voice and where it came from is you have to reach out to others. Um, As Brene Brown says, shame like withers away in, in Mm. with empathy, like you just said, right. So if I'm in this down and out thing and be like, Oh, someone just accused me of being lazy. And you'd be like, there's no freaking way that you're lazy. Like I don't pick up any energy about you that you're lazy. Then all of a sudden that shame voice just dissipates. And I'm like, okay, all right, maybe I'm not, you know, and, and you need, remember, I need that magic, um, like skill of someone to come in and be like, man, we all screw up as a parent. Oh man, yeah, I've gotten really angry at my partner and I've said dumb yeah. stuff like that too. Like, let's fix that, you know? So you have to reach out. You cannot isolate. You can't usually process shame by yourself. Um, and the final thing is reaching out, but then it's just talking about it. So, um, you know, own your story, figure out what parts work and you get to change your story. You know, Brene Brown says, if you don't change or own or understand your story, it's going to change and own your life. Yeah. So who do you want to be the writer, the author of your story? That is so, so beautiful. Anytime you feel like you're in a conflict or you have this self-doubt, if you pick up the phone and call someone you trust and they just ask you questions on why you're thinking or feeling that way. And exactly like you said, you're like, wait, hold on a minute. I'm not lazy. You know, I work my ass off. And sometimes you just need that dialogue with someone to bring you back. So I just think that's that's such great advice. Kristen, as a final question, if we still have a minute for it, do we? Uh, A minute. (laughs) Okay. As a final question, what is one tool, if you had one tool to give someone on fostering like a healthy relationship with oneself in general, um, what would that be? We talked in the beginning about having that healthy relationship with the self. 
whether it's a boundary, like learning. I mean, I found when I was doing this own journal for me, I can a journey for me. I could just tell you the things that hit me most profoundly. Right. So imagine someone who was a therapist and in therapy, right? Like I thought I knew my stuff, but the things that really blew me away is a, the shame work. So really maybe diving into this stuff. Um, I do think Brene Brown is a great speaker, speaks on shame very eloquently and palatably. Um, I have material too. Um, but also understanding how the nervous system works, right? Like there, great, there's great that work. understanding, like you think you're this one all encapsulated being, but once you start learning about the the survival brain and how it's just running on its own, completely separate from your prefrontal cortex, right? That executive functioning part of you, which is like what makes you, you, right? Um, and really respecting the fact that they are on completely different paths with completely different goals, it really does help bring together this idea and this need for you to kind of almost talk, you know, these, these parts of yourself that, you know, that like Disney movie, their Pixar movie, the inside out, really respect that there are parts of you and you have to have conversations with them and you're not crazy. You're actually very high functioning when you understand all these parts. And I look for those in people um, to know if they're healthy or not, that can own these really strange dichotomies of like, in any given day, I'm the best therapist and the worst therapist. I'm the best mom and the worst mom. Mm. And I understand when I fall short, what causes me to fall short. And it really, um, you know, and I'm on this continuum to fix them. And it really helps um, make tangible all those things that just felt so out of your control for so long. That is such great advice. Kristen, this has been absolutely wonderful. You have exceeded my expectations. So thank you so, so much. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. I will be linking Kristen's website and her YouTube channel to this episode description. So please do check out more of her work. Thank you again. And we'll catch you in the next episode.